You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, my name is Ron Friends. This is the legendary Tom DeFalco. And you are listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello, this is the Epic Marvel Podcast. I'm your host, Curtis Findlay. And today we have an interview with not one, but two of some of Marvel's top talent. We have an interview with Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends. And I'm joined in this interview by my co-host, my Thor co-host, Craig Elliott. And together we will be talking to these two gentlemen about Thor. They They had a lengthy run of Thor in the 90s, and we are going to try and reach all of the little aspects of Thor and even Thunderstrike, which those two co created as a result of their run on Thor. This is actually a pretty old interview. We talked to them just at the start of the pandemic in 2020, and my intention was to to release this interview when we started doing some more Thor episodes, but you know, life got in the way, schedule conflicts, whatever. We never ended up doing those Thor episodes, and I just sat on this interview for a couple of years now. But the time has come now to release that just for you. Uh, before we do that, I just want to make sure that you are well aware of all my social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, YouTube, TikTok, all of that stuff. Just search for Epic Marvel Podcast. And I'm sure you'll find me. But enough about that. Let's get on with the interview. This is an interview with Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends. <laughs> The topic of conversation today, uh, we would love to talk to you about Thor. And especially, uh, we have some questions uh, that surround the Eric Masterson years, of course, um, and a few that kind of come before that. So I would, I want to throw it out to Craig. Why don't you give us the first question, Craig? I was wondering, I've heard, or I've, you know, my research, I've come across that apparently the two of you took Thor originally as a two-issue stint at the end of the Walt Simonson run um, because you were trying to secure Daredevil. Like you wanted to do the monthly work on Daredevil and you were just trying to bail out the editor and said you'd fill in for two issues in hopes of impressing him to get your hands on, on Daredevil and instead did such an amazing job that they gave you Thor as a full time gig. Is that is that true? More or less. We, we knew that the editor was interested in hiring a new team for, for Daredevil. I forget who had been on the book. And um, we heard that Daredevil was coming open. So Ron and I spoke, and Ron actually did a, a Daredevil sample page, which uh, the editor liked so much he hung it up in his office, and it was up there for, for years, even though he didn't give Ron the book. <laughs> um, so I, I went in and asked him if he would entertain a pitch by the two of us. And, uh, and he said he'd love to do it, but Thor was very late, and he needed a fill-in. I was trying to get a film for Thor. And then he asked me if, if I thought, you know, Ron and I could do a film for Thor. And I said, yeah, we could probably do a film for anything. Let me call Ron and see if he's interested in Thor. And I called Ron and Ron said, 
I don't remember what Ron said. I, I'm sure I said something like, I would love to do a Thor fill-in with you, Tom, because <laughs> I was a big Kirby Basema fan, and they were the Thor guys. So I was I was very interested in doing a Thor thing. At that point, we had been uh, fired off of Spider-Man, and I had quit a graphic novel that I had been signed up for. Well, I had quit Kickers. We got fired off of Spider-Man, and I had this Punisher graphic novel with Joe Duffy. I forget who the editor was. I think it was Carl Potts. And... I ended up bailing on that just because I, I didn't feel I could serve it well. I didn't feel I could do a good job on it. And uh, Carl was very disappointed in me. I, I got the feeling I really kind of burned my bridge with, with Carl, unfortunately. But um, at around that time, I was offered that first Superman annual I did uh, by Mike Carlin, uh, the Titano one with uh, John Byrne and Brett Breeding. And that that all happened around the same time that Ralph called about the uh, Thor fill-in. So I felt like maybe there was still a chance I could make a living in this industry. <laughs> okay. It was very welcome. After Spider-Man, when we got fired off of Spider-Man, Shooter said to me, oh, don't worry about it. I'll get you another assignment. So I thought, yeah, okay. I'm just going to hold my breath and wait for that. And um, naturally, I didn't get another assignment. <laughs> for a couple of months. Around that time, they uh, ended up sending me to England, and I was in, in England for a bunch of months. Instead of getting a regular assignment, anytime anybody was late, they would ask me to do a fill-in. And I just did a, you know, a fill-in here, a fill-in there for all, all sorts of different things. But that was, you know, I, I used to do that even when I was on a regular book. So Daredevil was the first book that, you know, we were going to actually chase after. We, we did our our first fill-in, and of course, I can't remember which one that one was. It was Secret Wars one, Tom. We talk about this every time. I swear to God. You know, <laughs> you know I, I remember the big things. I don't remember the little details. All right, so we did this, this the Secret War one. As we were finishing that one up, I, I went into the editor and I said, would you like to hear our pitch now? Because in, in the meantime, while we were working on Thor, we were putting together ideas for Daredevil. And he said, well, yeah, but uh, I'm, you know, Thor, Thor still is very, very late. I could use another villain. Could you do a second villain? So I said, yeah, yeah, I guess so. And then we came up with the future Thor. So see, both villains we did would be villains that would not impact regular continuity. We we're trying to stay away from regular continuity. You have a tendency to plan way in advance and sort of layer things in and come back to them. So that must have been sort of a, I'm not going to say tricky for you, obviously, because you did a great job of it, but um, like perhaps less fun for you in that you, you tend to plan things so far ahead and, and, and do this whole sort of world building thing. You know, not really. I, you know, I approach every story, you know, for what it is, whether it's a six page story, a 22 page story or a regular monthly assignment, a regular monthly assignment. You, you plan out, you know, with a grander picture, a, a six page story, you just focus on those six pages and a fill in, you just try to do the best you can. And I, I don't remember if those were 22 page stories or 20 page stories or what they were, but you, you just always try to do your best you can with what you got to work with. Right. That makes sense. And as we were finishing up the uh, the second fill-in, the editor <laughs> the editor said to me, "Yeah, I want you to, I want you guys to do a regular book." And I said, "Daredevil." And he said, "No, Thor." And they said, "We can't do Thor. We don't do cosmic." And and he said, uh, "You just did two issues." <laughs> and I said, "They were fill-ins. We I could do we, we could do two fill-ins on any book in the line, but that doesn't mean we could actually do any book in the line on a regular basis." He says, "I'm sure you guys can do this." And I I remember Ron and I called Ron because I had no confidence in my ability to do cosmic stories. 
and, and I and I think Rod said, "Hey, let's let's give it a shot. Let's try it." Well, if you remember, Tom, if if the, if I'm remembering the timeline correctly, you were in place as writer, and initially you were going to be working with Sal. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So he was impressed with your Thor and talked you into doing Cosmic, but you were uh, originally earmarked. Sal was going to stay. Walt was leaving the book, but Sal was going to stay on art. Yeah, that's right. You know, I I always forget about poor Sal. So we we got got called into an office with the shooter and and the editor uh, Ralph Macchio, and Ralph said, uh, "Yeah, I think I'd really like to have Tom and Ron do this book." And and shooter said to me, "Well." Why don't you call Sal and tell him you come with your own penciler? And I, I remember saying, what? Sal is a friend of mine. I'm not going to call him up and tell him I come with my own penciler. That's ridiculous. And Ralph was saying, but I really like the way you and Ron, you know, do it. And as we're talking, I think Jim Salakrup sticks his head in the office and says, hey, are you guys talking about Sal? I said, yeah. And he says, I was thinking of asking him to, to uh, do one of the Spider-Man books. Would it be okay? And uh, Ralph said, yeah. Ask him if he'd rather do Spider-Man than Thor. They called up Sal, and Sal said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do Spider-Man instead of Thor. Because, you know, Thor had all the fancy Asgardian buildings and that sort of stuff. And also, Sal loves Spider-Man. You know, no two ways about it. So Sal decided to go to Spider-Man, and then Ron and I were off and running. That worked out perfectly. Fantastic that that worked out. Yeah, most times things don't work out as well. The one thing I could add to that, too, is that the reason Jim Shooter got involved isn't because I I was so super spectacular or anything, but the one fill-in we had done recreated scenes from one of the Secret Wars issues, uh, one of the big fight sequences between Thor and a bunch of bad guys. So he was a little more connected to it. He was a little more involved in it. And he, he liked what I had done with the sequence. I mean, certainly uh, when Mike Zek was working on the issue that we were taking it from, he had dozens of other story elements he had to deal with and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and all I had to do was this this nice little fight scene. But Shooter was a little more connected to it. He liked what I did with it. He liked the dynamics of it. And I think he had probably recognized that Tom and I were a pretty good pairing on Spider-Man as well. So I you know that's why I think he was kind of egging for that but uh you know i mean yeah it did work out wonderfully because there was no way you know i was going to displace selva summer that just doesn't happen in any universe that <laughs> i've ever lived in yeah. there is no there is no plane of existence where ron friends displaces selva summer on a comic book it just doesn't happen yeah or tom is going to ask sal to uh yeah i remember to... getting the, i remember getting the call from you tom where you said we're clear <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know that Sal's going to be doing Spider-Man for Jim Salakrup, and the book is open. If you know, so you should take it. And I went, well, if Sal's happy, then I'm thrilled to take it. Sure. And I did call Sal later just to make sure that he didn't feel he was being forced off the book. And that's when he told me he'd ra- much rather do Spider-Man. Yeah, he had put in a few years on Thor already, anyway. And I know he really enjoyed working with uh, with Walt, but you know, the prospect of working with you probably kind of gave him a sour stomach too. Yeah, yeah, that, you know, I have that effect on a lot of pencils. <laughs> so, and once you got into Thor, you went you went cosmic pretty quickly, and then you scaled it back to being very earthbound. And uh, was that a, a decision just because that's what you were more comfortable with? Well, the, 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 which decision? The decision to go full cosmic initially with the Celestials was because Mr. DeFelco uh, is a big fan of if you are afraid of something, then you <laughs> jump on it and rest it to the ground 
<laughs> and stick your fingers up its nose and and give it all you got. So he was big on jumping into the deep end of the pool. So he said, okay, if I'm afraid of doing cosmic, let's. what's the most cosmic concept I can think of? Celestials were there. It doesn't so, get much more cosmic. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, was a great run of stories, and he outdid himself. Uh, from the very, very beginning, when we had com- our conversations about long-term what we wanted to do on Thor, we did discuss the possibility of bringing back uh, a more human connection and keep bringing him to earth a little more often because that's what makes, you know, if you want to put Thor in an environment where he's unique and special, then you bring him to earth. And what makes him even special on Asgard is his connection to earth. That's what makes him unique among Asgardians. We all, we had already talked about what became Eric Masterson. I mean, Eric Masterson was introduced in one of our very early issues. Once we got done with the cosmic stuff, yep. yeah, uh, right away. But and that was a slow burn towards. We had always meant for him to become the alter ego. We just took our time because we wanted the readers to get to know Eric and like him and uh, build a relationship between he and Thor before we pulled the trigger on any kind of a bonding or anything. So. Now, I'd heard that you had briefly wanted to bring back Donald Blake, but he wasn't possible, and that's where you dreamt up Eric Masterson? Is that is that I'm true? Not, now, why would that not be possible? Well, that's what I was wondering. We are creators, man. We create. Ron Blake had already been created when we came on Spider-Man. Was it to use all the old villains? Well, no, thankfully. So. No, it was not. It was to create. Mr. DeBelco <laughs> is a creator. So he did not. We, we didn't want to go backwards. We, Tom is always bugging Wait. my ass about moving forward. Uh, listen, Mr. Friends is also a creator, so he, he can't put all these you know things on my back. He came up with probably more ideas than I did. I like to you know take long naps in the afternoon and, 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 and while Mr. Friends is actually drawing. Well, we, so, we did. We I don't think we really discussed on Blake other than that we weren't we didn't really want to go that way, uh, and then it became a question of trying to do something new. We actually talked about having Thor take the identity of somebody who dies heroically, and we didn't like that idea because that kind of made Thor a little ghoulish. So we uh, went with the merger thing, and and that's, again, why we felt it was really, really necessary for the audience to get to know and hopefully form an attachment with and bond with Eric before we did it. We didn't want him to just be a cipher. We wanted it to be a combination of two characters you really enjoy who actually had a friendship and, and you could, not that Thor wouldn't do it for a guy on the street, but we wanted him to be doing it because, you know, he was very bonded with Eric and respected Eric and loved Eric. So I, we did, and then it's up to the audience as to whether or not we pulled it off, but, you know. Did any of the people at the time reading figure out the direction you were going? Did they see it coming? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. Did you, Kurt or Craig, did you see it coming? When I was aware of Thor, he was already Eric Masterson, believe it or not. I don't believe it. (laughs) I I choose not to believe that because I'm only 25. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I read Eric Masterson as Thunderstrike was when I first was introduced to the character for the whole Thunderstrike book. I was 10 when it came out and was pumped that there was a number one issue and I could be at the start of a book. And read it all the way through. All right, shut up, you zygot. <laughs> um, tell me, Ron, about um, being inked by Joe Sinnott. What would you like to know? Well, um, just tell me what a what a thrill that was. It, it is. It's an incredible thrill. 
of course, on Thor, it, it took a while. Uh, I had already had the pleasure of working with him on a what if uh, the invisible woman had died in childbirth. Uh, that was the first time I got to be inked by him. And it, it's a huge thrill. It, uh, you, you feel suddenly legitimate. You feel like you're a Marvel guy after you've been inked by Mr. Senate. <laughs> Seriously. I, I mean, I, for me, it, was, it started to happen when I was being inked by Don Palmer on Star Wars. But when I finally got to do superheroes inked by Joe Sinnott, you know, it's it's one of those moments where you, you know, now I am a man. Now I am a Marvel guy. Uh, so, yeah, that was wonderful. On Thor, we started out with Brett, and we went through Brett and a little, a little Don Heck and a little Romeo Tangal. A, a couple other people stepped in. Villagren, I think, inked the cover. So we had a couple of, you know, with issue 400, Mr. Sennett agreed to be our regular anchor. And uh, yeah, the heavens opened up and the angels sang. And uh, I was, I couldn't have been happier as a, as a creative. Uh, you know, I, I've said this before. I mean, it would, every day on Thor, working with Ralph and Tom and Mr. Sennett, and it was, I, I woke up every morning knowing that this was going to be the good old days someday. And here we are talking about the good old days. Mm -hmm. We were all having a blast. When you pencil run, how how much detail do you put into your pencils? Are you a very intricate penciler? Do you leave a lot for the inker to interpret? When I was when I was first hired at Marvel, it became obvious pretty quickly uh, that they valued my storytelling above everything else. So they were pairing me with finishers and using my storytelling. So I was doing more breakdowns. I wasn't putting in shadows and I wasn't putting in line weights and. Uh, and all that. I was still doing all the line work. I was still putting in indicating buildings and stuff. Some of my Star Wars stuff got a little loose because Tom Palmer was so up and running already on all the characters and had his own treatment of all the characters and everything. And I was just there to lay out the story. Spider-Man, I started out doing full pencils and I went to breakdowns under Rubenstein. And so, so by the time we got to Thor under Brett, I look back on some of the stuff, found some of the Xeroxes that we did uh, that I was shocked at how much Rhett was bringing to the table. I was very comfortable doing breakdowns when I was working with a finisher of that caliber. So, you know, I, I was still doing breakdowns. Uh, I mean, what, really, what, what happened was when, I, when we went through a phase where we didn't know what the anchor was going to be. When Mr. Sinnott agreed to ink 400, it was already penciled, and I had full penciled 400. And he did such a fantastic job keeping my full pencils that I kind of kept getting a little tighter and a little tighter and started getting more comfortable with doing my own lighting and shadow and all that kind of stuff. So I, there were times, there were when we went to the bi-weeklies and everything, there were a couple of times that I probably fell back on breakdowns knowing that uh, Mr. Sinnott would be able to handle it with no problem. But that wasn't necessarily, you know, that wasn't kind of the way it went. We just worked very well together and I started to develop more of a finishing style so I could... I mean, I was always full penciling covers from the very beginning and needed to, you know, at some point you need to be able to develop a finishing style and, and be able to make something look like it's done, you know, mm -hmm. so anybody can ink it, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And Ron's breakdowns have more detail than a lot of guys' full pencils. Yeah, it's they're not as loose as say like a uh, like a John Basema. Uh, Mr. Basema tends to do you know he gets very loose and and he's working with incredibly talented illustrators who can finish them. My stuff was all it was a it was a solid line and everything was there. You know, even the background detail on the buildings was there. 
I just wasn't picking a light source and putting in shadows and lighting. And, and, and like I said, I wasn't putting a lot of character to the line, but that was all for the anchor to add. But yeah, the, the, all the storytelling was there. All the detail was there for the most part. Relating to your, your work with her, I know the, the cliched question for any Ron Friends interview is about costumes, but I'm not going to ask you why you always change costumes when you take over a book, because that, that's the, the classic question I would ask you. Instead, I, I'd read that in this case, it was actually Tom's idea to change Thor's costume. And Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was never my idea. What are we considering? We're considering the Spider-Man black costume, Eric's version of Thor, and Superman blue. None of those three were my idea. <laughs> right. But you got landed with the tag of always changing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was, I, I'm always just the guy sitting in the car with the engine running. And then everybody runs out of the bank and gets in the car, and suddenly I'm arrested. You know, that <laughs> it, it, yeah, not, I mean, black costume, I didn't even design. That was designed by Mike Zek with a little bit of kibitzing by Rick Leonardi. And the other two, yeah, Tom, it was Tom's idea. It's, at one point, he approached me with the idea of having Eric, Eric's personality take over. And, you know, we would do Eric as Thor for some period of time. And I liked the idea, but I wasn't ready to commit to it until I could figure out what he looked like. And I sat down at a table while I was doing some shop appearances with Brett Breeding. And uh, we sat down and played with some different ideas and came up with something I liked. And then I called Tom and I said, okay, whenever you're ready to start this ball rolling, I'm good because I know what he looks like. You know, I had shown this stuff to Tom and Tom approved it and Ralph approved it. And I said, so we know what we're doing so we can start moving towards that, that story arc. And, uh, and thus we did. Fair enough. And as far as Superman goes, that was editorial. They decided they were going to change the costume. We all contributed a sketch, and they picked which one they liked. And I, they picked mine, one, because I messed with the S, and two, because he was all blue. And the colorist had wanted to do Superman red, Superman blue for forever. So I have a feeling one of the reasons that mine was picked is because he was monochromatic blue, and then they could do Superman red, Superman blue. So. Uh, but we don't need to talk about that now because uh, that was not Tom. <laughs> that's right. There's plenty of it's not Tom. <laughs> well, speaking of Blue, some of the, the supporting cast members you added to uh, Thor were the group Code Blue. Wow. That was a heck of a... What do they call those things? Uh, Segway. Yes. That's <laughs> yeah. He's a writer. Always use the writer. And so can you tell me a little bit about Code Blue, the genesis behind those characters, and how effectively they were used in the book? Were they effectively used in the book? <laughs> That's my question. <laughs> well, I think... we, we, we hope they were effectively used in the book. What was the... Uh, Ron, do you, do you remember what started off Code Blue? Yeah, once we got Thor back to Earth, we were playing with... I mean, because we're, we're very devoted to Stan Lee's view of the Marvel Universe which is the real heroes are the first responders and the police and the doctors and the firemen. You know, I mean, Stan was very, very big on that. And we always had Thor reinforcing that ourselves. So we were big fans of that. And I don't remember whose initial idea it was, uh, but through our discussions with Thor being back on Earth, but still fighting Thor-level villains and stuff, we started talking about the fact that, you know, it'd be kind of cool if we had a, a, like a SWAT team of guys that were specially trained to take on, you know, the, it, it, you know, we weren't thinking about it as like a spinoff title or anything like that. We were just looking at it as, as kind of a, a cool element of the 616 Marvel Universe is that 
police departments would each have this specially trained unit. And the initial idea was that Code Blue was the first of these in Midtown. And then there would be other, you know, like every precinct would have their own group uh, like this. You know, I mean, at one point I even designed some other characters under the name Wolfpack that were going to be in, a, you know, another precinct's Code Blue team. Because Code Blue was some th- something they became to be called because uh, a Code Blue in a hospital is somebody's dying and all the other cops thought they were going to go out and get killed. And there, were, there was a betting pool about how quickly these guys were all going to end up dead. And that's how they got called Code Blue. But over the course of their existence, where they weren't dying and they were making the police department proud, it became more of a badge of honor and it became uh, more of a formal name. So, Right, Tom? Yep. And, uh, and Stone, I mean, it, all, obviously Tom's... Tom's biggest contribution to it, and I always loved it, was his his love for the Howling Commandos. Yes. <laughs> uh, so he brought a lot of that element into these characters and how they interacted. Uh, Stone was designed after a very good friend of mine who owned a comic shop back in the day. And his name was Mark, and I changed it to Marcus. And he was the model for Stone. And uh, at least, who else? Do I, let's see, two of yeah, two of the other characters were also based on friends of mine who worked at a different comic shop. Uh, Firestein and, and Jackson were both loosely based on friends of mine as well. So, you know, I mean, they were great characters. I loved the characters. I would have loved to have seen them uh, spin off into their own title. I think they had the legs to spearhead their own title. Uh, there was that miniseries that Roy Thomas wrote. I guess it went over pretty well. I mean, it didn't turn into a regular series or anything, but you know, I think there was a lot there. I enjoyed that interaction quite a bit, and and I liked it. Gave Thor more humans to interact with, and then when it transitioned over to Eric, uh, then it became even more more of a natural blend of the characters and stuff. Yeah. Speaking of humans that they interact with, and I mean, you guys had said you introduced Eric with the long-term intention of his becoming Thor. Obviously, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. You didn't. I don't. Did you plan on him Ben becoming Thunderstrike, or was that uh, an idea that came up later? No, that wasn't our idea. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Thunderstrike was our idea. Everything about Thunderstrike was our idea. But the idea that Eric was going to be spun off into his own character was the sales department's idea. Yeah. Now, we when we introduced Eric, we had a long discussion about him, and we knew that ultimately Eric's interaction with Thor was not going to end well for Eric. In the first time he meets Thor, uh, Eric's leg is damaged, and that's why he walks around with a cane after, after that. I think the first time Eric shows up at his house, uh, Thor shows up at Eric's house, he, he says he's, he's got a feeling of uneasiness that things are not going to work out well for Eric. Yeah, he says, like, I sense great pain in his future or something. Yeah. yeah. So we always knew that that ultimately uh, Eric was going to end tragically. Did you did you also know that for Jackie Lucas then? Because you introduced Jackie Lucas, and she eventually turns out to be Blood Axe. Yeah. So with, yeah. You, know, so you, you like you planned that arc for both of them from the outset when they were introduced. Those were the. How <laughs> <laughs> honest do you want to be, Tom? I'm gonna I'm gonna be very honest. No, we did not plan that arc for them from the beginning. We. We're going to tease that Jackie Lucas uh, was going to be kind of, a, you know, one of his girlfriends. We were doing, I know I'm going to get in trouble for this, a Betty and Veronica thing that he liked Jackie Lucas, but uh, Susan, Susan was planning at home. Yeah, was, was planning at home, but we didn't we didn't even come up with Blood Axe. Told. Yeah, Blood, Blood Axe was later in the run, 
but yeah. and and quite honestly, you know, a lot of the times you you can start a mystery without knowing exactly where you're going to end up. You you create as many avenues for yourself and and, and potential directions for yourself as possible. You seed as many possibilities because you don't want the reader guessing. Okay. So you don't write all this down and stick to it uh, religiously because if, if people have, you know, if the, if the mail is indicating that people are guessing who the character is, you want to have the freedom to move back and forth and, and, uh, and still have it play fair with the reader. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, and uh, and Tom is very very good at Tom's the structurist, <laughs> and when he plots a story, that's how he's thinking. You know, I, I always kind of pictured not Tom's apartment, but Tom's brain as being <laughs> one one of those cork boards <laughs> with all the little things pinned in it, the strings connecting them, and all that kind of stuff. That's Tom's gorge right there, <laughs> and when, when especially when he's plotting, and uh, you know he so he has. He has options. He gives himself options. We, we always gave ourselves options for things. And usually it worked out even better than we could have planned five years ahead. You know, it, it, in fact, it always does because it feels more urgent. It feels more organic because it's growing out of stuff you've already done instead of you know, I mean, you, you can see things, but you got to see what grows and what doesn't, you know, what, what feels the most dramatic. And uh, and ultimately, by the time we we revealed who Blood Axe was, the most dramatic answer was this woman that Eric had just had a great, fantastic evening with, you know, and thought that this was going to be the rest of his life. That became easily the the most dramatic choice for who would be Blood Axe. Can I ask then who else was in consideration? Sure. I mean, the most obvious one was Bobby Steele. Yeah. Uh, we made uh, Kevin's teacher a suspect. A lot of readers who were not not as as forgiving and kind as Eric wanted it to be Marcy. Uh, <laughs> I, I remember there was there was one scene where when Susan was getting out of the hospital after her coma, there was a scene where they were wheeling in her wheelchair, and we had the entire supporting cast there to greet her in the hallway. And I had to draw everybody. I tried to be. I had. I, I tried to be as unobvious as possible about it. But everybody in the shot is wearing a high collar, is wearing their jacket with their collar popped up, because during the course of that scene, you see somebody from the back in shadow thinking like blood axe. So we knew it was somebody in that crowd. Yep. And <laughs> it was. And it was Bobby Steele. It was Marcy. It was Marrero, the teacher. It was Dr. Paretsky. It was the, the uh, construction worker that, that Walt created. Jerry Sapristi. You know, everybody was standing there, but they all had their collars up so I could do the bat, the reverse shot. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's kind of how it came down to. I mean, the, it had to be somebody that was at the housewarming party, you know, things like that. And you seed all these suspects. And then you see where the people, you know, where the fans are guessing and you see where everything's going. And, uh, you know, you throw out clues for, you know, red herrings for people and everything and, and then decide where you're going to go. I, I don't even remember when we decided it was going to be Jack. I know we decided that before Stellaris returned. Um, okay. Because, because when Stellaris returns, you know, she, she kind of spots Blood Axe. Yeah, she, actually, recognizes, she recognizes the power in her immediately, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and gives Eric a couple of clues, which I, I wanted to be them to be subtle clues and i guess they were too subtle because no one ever picked up on them and bobby Steele was always meant to be a red herring 
I, I think we knew from the start that he was never going to be blood axe. So naturally, we threw a lot of clues that he was blood axe. Oh yeah, yeah. But but I mean, there, he was he was a great suspect because we were also playing with the steroid abuse. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, but ultimately, you know, we're not going to do that to Kevin. I mean, you you choose ideas that have some legs, but you know, as Tom uh, indicated. The long-range plan was that Eric wasn't going to make it out of this alive. Do you guys remember a what-if we did? I, I forget you even get what the what-if was called, but it was, it was I, I don't think they were being called by full titles at that point. It was just what-if starring Thor, and it was a, uh, a story by Tom and I. Uh, it was inked by Bill Sienkiewicz, and it dealt with Thor being the, the king of Asgard and Odin going off in his little wanderer outfit and taking on Mephisto. And it was a story all about balance, the balance of good and evil in the universe and everything. And our long-term plan, if, if Thunderstrike hadn't happened, the long-term plan, as I remember it, and I could be wrong, Tom, you correct me if I'm wrong, is that Eric was going to stay Thor. Thor was going to stay on Asgard and finally take the throne. And he and Sif would be planning a big wedding. And Eric would be doing what Eric does on Earth. But Loki was going to take advantage of that situation because he was going to be even more persona non grata in Asgard. So he was going to come to Earth, and he was going to take out Eric. And at that point, Thor would realize he was wrong to put a target on Eric's back. He's the only one that can fulfill that responsibility. He breaks Sif's heart, and he tells Odin, I'm sorry, I can't do this. And he goes back to Earth, and he takes over to Earth. Now, when we left the title, they hired a whole different creative team who came up with their own big epic story that had nothing to do with that. The, the what if we did was kind of like, what if Tom and Ron had not left Thor? <laughs> nice. So it still had Eric interacting with Diff and all that kind of stuff. We didn't take it to the point of Eric's death, but, but that's what we would have kind of set up in the long term had we stayed on Thor and and Eric not been awarded his own title by the sales department. Can you yeah. just do a, like, what if Tom and Ron had not left this book, or what if Tom and Ron had taken over this title series for us? That'd be great. <laughs> series one. I can't imagine anybody at Marvel that would rubber stamp that one. Because <laughs> right, I love, like, what if Tom and Ron had done Daredevil, or what if Tom and Ron had finished their original Spider-Man run? Or... What if Tom and Ron had done Daredevil would have been interesting. I was surprised that, that Ralph... The, the drawing I did for Ralph, it was just a pinup shot of Daredevil, but he was smiling. And my autograph on it just said, to Ralph, just for the fun of it, <laughs> Ron Friend. And, it, and, and he looked very kind of more like the Ramita era, the Gene Colan era, very swashbuckling and smiling. And, you know, and that was something I was kind of interested in trying to bring back because ever since Shooter, was it Shooter and I think Roger Slifer and a couple of other people that worked on Daredevil way before Frank Miller, there had been this move, lean towards, you know, the bad, the guys on the street calling him the devil and him kind of becoming more Batman-ish and darker and, and grimmer. And uh, I mean, even Wolfman kind of played into that a little bit during his run. And that was something that I was kind of sorry to see because Daredevil as a swashbuckler, as a, a more upbeat character was unique. You know, he, he wasn't just like Spider-Man. He was even funnier than Spider-Man. He was even more boisterous than Spider-Man. And, and I, I like that element of the character and, uh, you know, the daredevil aspect of the character and not the devil aspect of the character. And, uh, so I know some of our conversations were that kind of thing, you know, making very street level and uh, having him take on very street level characters, but but to bring bring back a little bit of that buoyancy to the character, you know, a little bit more of the Errol Flynn back to the character, you know. 
I really liked the story where you you kind of bring in all the different Thors from around Beta Ray Bill and uh, and Dargo and such. Yeah, it was just oh, like the Thor core. Yeah. Thor <laughs> yeah, that was something that uh, you know there were a couple of times that we were just shocked at the response. One was when early on in the Eric run when we did no more Mr. Nice God on the cover. <laughs> With the huge gun. And we, got, we got such letters. From, now, keep in mind, at that point, we were already on the book for, what, three years, five years, something like that? Something like that. Yeah, because we, we totaled, what, seven years on the title, something? Mm-hmm. So we had already done a, a huge run of Thor that was selling incredibly well. But when we did no more than Mr. Nice God, we got all these letter, mean letters from people saying that we didn't understand the character and how dare we. <laughs> and it was a joke. I mean, it was it was supposed to be kind of a, of a of a spoof of what was current in comics at the time. You know, he was holding a big gun and he was sweating and and I even the shading on his costume is done more in an image style and all this kind of jazz. But we got we got pilloried for that. And Thorcore was another one that we, it was kind of tongue in cheek because for me, the challenge in that one cover was to use as many Thor logos as I could <laughs> because, because we were calling, we were calling the uh, arc, the Thor war and the Thor war was done in the typeface of the old Thor, the classic old Lee Kirby Thor logo. And then the mighty Thor was done in the Walt logo. That was just beautifully done. I'm not sure. Do you know who created that Tom? Uh, it was the, uh... Walt's regular letter. Um, Workman, John Workman. John Workman did it. Okay. Yeah. Well, that was, yeah, because that was gorgeous. So that was still our logo. No, no, it wasn't. No, I'm sorry. We had come up with another logo for Eric where it was more streamlined and was open and kind of done in metallics every once in a while. But so we had Eric's logo as the, as the actual logo. And then the Thor core, it was, and now the Thor core and the Thor core was Walt's logo with core right. across it in red. And it was just kind of a tongue in cheek kind of thing. We were having fun with it. They never refer to themselves as the Thor core in the, in the book. You know, I mean, it's not something that they, we came up with a battle cry for them or anything. And then at one point, what was funny was it landed with people and Tom ended up doing a mini series with Pat Ollard, <laughs> Yep. And, and they offered us a, a, a for sale poster. And the, when I first noticed it is they asked for, uh, when we were doing the Marvel trading cards, they said, we want you to do a trading card of the Thor core. And I'm going, what? <laughs> and they said, yeah, the Thor core, that team you did. And I went, Oh my God, there's no Thor core, you know, that kind of thing. But suddenly they were paying dues and showing up at, the ta- at a table in a mountaintop or fortress or something. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> well, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun to see how these ideas would kind of take on a life of their own. And uh, you know, quite often, you you know, you just kind of throw it out there as a gag, and suddenly it uh, it's something more. You know, our Thor book was selling very very well, and every once in a while, we would do one of our goofball covers. What I, what I refer to as our goofball covers, and and sales would spike. The Thor core and that whole. I think that was over with the summer where we were bi-weekly or something. Thor Core, yeah, was, bi- was a bi-weekly run, yeah. And we came out, Thor was coming out twice a month around that time, and sales kind of skyrocketed during this, the Thor Core thing uh, to the where the sales department came in and said to me, so we want to do that spinoff book. And I said, okay, what spinoff book? Oh, the Thor guys. <laughs> and I'm, thinking, I, I'm sorry, what, what are you talking about? And then they described the Thor Court to, to me, and I honestly didn't understand what they were saying. 
And then one finally realized what it was. And I said to him, that's not real. <laughs> they said, but it's selling, so it is real. <laughs> Um, and that, and that's also kind of why uh, Eric eventually got his own book because I think we were barreling towards. Yeah, that was towards, when, that was towards the end of Eric's tenure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were we were heading towards Eric's tenure, and um, somebody came in from the sales department and said, "So, what's the plan for Eric?" And I get outlined it where you know he dies and you're going to kill him, but he's selling so well. I said, "Well, but we have these plans for Thor and blah blah." I said, "Huh, we got we have to talk about this," and I said, "Okay." We'll talk about it. And then I show up at the meeting and find out that they've decided that Eric gets his own book. <laughs> Before I, I don't remember the conversation you and I had, Ron. I just, you called me and said they want to give Eric his own book. And I'm going, as what? And you went, well, that's what we've got to figure out. I said, oh, so nice of them to, you know, so nice of them to come up with the idea without the idea, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Because so, you, usually you would think that once the idea was developed, one would decide whether or not it was book worthy. But just the concept of Eric spinning off was the germ of the idea. And it was up to us to figure out what that was going to be. Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. I mean, it was talk about, I, I remember one of the ideas that we talked about was doing uh, Journey into Mystery, uh, is, is doing a uh, Journey into Mystery title where Eric would stay Thor on Earth, and then whoever was going to take over Thor would, you know, whether it was us or whoever it was, would go ahead with Thor being uh, the king of Asgard and do cosmic mythological stories. And whoever did Journey into Mystery would do Eric on Earth as Thor and stuff. That was one thing that was talked about early on that would have been the path of least resistance. But uh, again, Tom is a creator and drags everybody else kicking and screaming along with him down the creator path. <laughs> so, you know, we had to come up with, uh, you know, making him kind of like Thor, but not Thor. Certainly, we were going to ground him a little bit more in, uh, you know, in the Marvel 616 and make him a little more street level. And, you know, we were getting suggestions from everybody, from our editors to our inkers to our colorists, you know, all that kind of stuff. Pat Olive helped me with some of the design elements of the mace. I mean, it was a, it was a big team effort. I remember Marvel flew me into New York and we sat in Tom's office and everybody was there. And I sat there with a sketchbook on my lap and was taking everybody's notes and it was somebody else had asked about you know in, in incorporating leather because that was big at the time you know and making it more street level and and almost biker looking and all this kind of stuff and you know a lot of that didn't come just from me it came from uh, a group of us a creative coterie of us that were uh, throwing ideas against the wall so well if you were to design him today what are the elements you would keep and what are the elements that you would remove actually we just did that 10 page story for for the thor the worthy issue and you know quite honestly i i think it's still a it cuts a dynamic figure you know i mean a lot of people they would well you'd get rid of you'd get rid of the uh jacket right but I, don't, I don't know does that really offend anybody at this point you know, I don't know if I, I don't know how far I would go. I mean, I've, I've played with the idea along the way of getting rid of the jacket. Uh, I played with the idea along the way of getting rid of the, uh, 
a ponytail at one point, but you know, that's kind of what keeps him different from Thor. So I, I don't know. I don't know. It, unless, unless it happened, I would really have a hard time saying because the, the, whoever would edit that fantasy project and whoever would write that fantasy project would have incredible input. And by whoever would write it, I mean, Tom, because I wouldn't do it with anybody but him anyway. So <laughs> I think it would more in your new one if series. What if Tom and Ron redesigned Thunderstrike? Well, you know, that, that's, that's presuming that we would. (laughs) Well, you kind of got that with uh, Thunderstrike volume two with Kevin in the 616. That's true. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Uh, Because when when we were wrapping up on Spider-Girl, Tom sent an email uh, to the ether at everybody at Marvel and said, you know, we're wrapping up Spider-Girl. Anybody have any projects they'd like to see Ron and I do together? And Tom, who was it? It was the gentleman in charge of trades or something. Do you remember who it was? The guy in charge of uh, the sales department, David Gabriel. David Gabriel came back with an email that said, I don't know about anybody else. I'd like to see a Thunderstrike miniseries by Tom and Ron. And we went, wow, okay. And not only did we go, wow, okay, you know, we started thinking about it. But then Tom went into the office for lunch with somebody and found out it was already on the schedule (laughs) (laughs) and called me and said, this isn't just a pipe. This isn't just interest. It's on the schedule. Okay. And I said, what are we going to do? And he goes, I don't know, but we better figure it out fast. <laughs> and uh, we were working on a deadline and we talked about bringing Eric back. But, I, you know, not to get too personal, but Tom and I had both gone through some major losses around that time in our lives. And it just didn't feel, you know, we couldn't sell bringing Eric back. You know, death has to mean something in the Marvel Universe, you know. So even though we had done Kevin in MC2, we had pretty quickly landed on the the idea of just doing the legacy character. Because how often are you given a legacy character that's already been introduced? You know, I mean, we we used as many as we could in MC2 characters that already were pre-existing and we just aged them. But we had that opportunity with this miniseries because, you know, people who read Thunderstrike knew who Kevin was. They they knew and either liked him or didn't like him, but they knew who he was and he was pre-existing. So we were, you know, we decided on that. And then we pretty quickly decided that wherever we went right with the MC2 Kevin, we would go left with the 616 Kevin. Like you know, we were we were making him a little younger and uh, his relationship with his parents wasn't as solid and his relationship with the education system wasn't as solid. And he was reacting to Eric's sacrifice in... Uh, you know, a less healthy way than MC2 Kevin did. And, you know, we met MC2 Kevin. He was a little older and probably had some therapy and had already dealt with, you know, a lot of the stuff that 616 Kevin was going to be dealing with if we would have had a chance to uh, to write him more. But even in the course of the arc of the five issues, you know, he experiences a lot and comes to an understanding about his father's sacrifice that he didn't have before. So, you know, if you're talking about what would Tom and Ron have done with Thunderstrike, there you go. You know, I mean, we, we were already stuck with having killed him in issue 24, so we would have done that. You know, there you go. Speaking of the, the Thor Corps and legacy characters and characters people know, the one member of the Thor Corps that never got revisited uh, by anybody is Dargo. Uh, I don't even have it. Is it Tor or Tor, the, the future Thor that you guys have interviewed? Yeah, Bob, how do you pronounce the K and a T together? <laughs> is one of them silent or do you call, do you pronounce it Dargo Tor? No, I, I was pronounced it Dargo Tor. So the K is silent. Yeah. You heard oh, it here first. He has go. never said that before, Curtis. Never he, heard that. Right? He has never said that before. 
this is an exclusive. <laughs> when you put it out on the web, we were to announce that Tom gives you never before information about these characters. Okay. I never heard that before either. You know, most people just call him Dargo Thor anyway, but, uh, you know, there you go. Right. Okay. Well, I was going to ask, well, he, he's never revisited. Is there, was there anything you guys wish you'd had a chance to do with that character? Or are you not surprised uh, that he wasn't brought back? Or do you wish people would? would no. Oh, God, no, no. Um, <laughs> do we wish we could have done more with him? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Um, are we heartbroken if our characters are not passed around like a $2 hooker? No. <laughs> You know, I mean, it, it, you know, that's one of the reasons Eric died. Uh, one of the reasons Eric died uh, was that was our original plan for the character, even though we intended for it to happen in Thor. It just happened two years later in Thunderstrike once, once Thunderstrike was canceled for reasons not of its own fault. But, but the other reason was that if we would have kept Eric alive but unpowered, Somebody would have, who was writing, you know, Avengers five years down the road, as Tom said, would have turned him into Banana Man or something. Because at that point, uh, it was around the time that poor Hank Pym was given like five different weird identities. You know, he was Doctor Pym for a while, and you know, it was a while before he got the cool red jumpsuit. Remember, he was actually dressed like Doctor Who for a while. You right. know, things like that. Yep. We didn't want that to happen to poor Eric. Or what was it over in the DC universe with um, uh, Guy Gardner? There you go. Yeah, that's another good example. Yeah, weird stint as, uh, as Warrior. Well, before that though, he got the yellow ring, and then that's he was that. Warrior, and it was crazy stuff. Yeah, I mean, and that unfortunately, that's what happens with a character that's popular, but nobody knows what to do with him. You know that kind yeah. of thing. And Dargo was incredibly popular. We were surprised by his popularity as well. I, I like the character a lot. I mean, I think there's a lot that could be done. I, I don't think we create a character without the idea that it has some legs. You know, we kind of look for that when we're uh, developing a, a character. So well, Yeah, we, we tend to do like a, a full Bible on every character we create, even if they're a background character in a story. Because we, we have to know who the character is in order to do them properly. That makes sense. So you're gonna be careful though, or you'll you'll find out that this is now a scheduled book on and you're behind deadline again. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's gonna happen anymore. But that was a that was a wonderful, weird situation. It really was. It was a very busy time for us. I I actually still had dreams that I was going to be, you know, working mainstream at Marvel one one project to the next. Because right around the time we were doing the five issue Thunderstrike series, it was when we found out about Superman Beyond, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, we, we had stuff stacked to the rafters. I, I wasn't sure we could do it all, but it's some of the work I'm most proud of. So it was, a, it was a crazy time, but it was a great time. One of the things I love about your run on Thor, and, and this, is, this holds true for whatever book you guys do, is that you have a great balance between the, the, the epic and serious parts and then the lighthearted stuff that we've talked about. Um, like, And I've, I've been a fan of reading Jason Aaron's Thor, but it's all so heavy with no sense of relief or anything. But And then your, yours, you have you know situations surrounding the, the divorce and the legal issues there and, and people in, in comas and the epic oh, light, space light battles. Stuff, like we have light stuff like divorce and comas? No, no, the, that's the... Did I say light <laughs> stuff? <laughs> oh, that's the dramatic stuff. That's the dramatic stuff. stuff. Oh, okay. And then you go to like, there's that issue where it's like the... How the Grinch stole Christmas spoof. <laughs> it was Christmas time, and it was the first time we had a non-pagan as the masthead character. 
<laughs> right. So we thought that would be kind of cool, you know, to take advantage of the fact. See, and that's the other thing, too. You're absolutely right, because this was still back in the age of spinner racks. OK, yeah, this was pre Thunderstrike. Thunderstrike debuted in the age of, you know, foil stamp covers and everything. But our run on Thor was still during the age of direct. Uh, we had direct sales, but we also had uh, newsstand mass market. Newsstand mass market. And so you could do that if your books were selling and your editor was happy with what you were doing. Every issue wasn't do or die. You know, we, you weren't spending every month with your head on the chopping block. So you could relax a little bit and and do something like, you know, how the Grunk stole Christmas or, you know, and, and have some fun and loosen up with the characters a little bit. You know, Star Trek was my model for that. They could do Trouble with Tribbles, you know, because the, the show was doing OK and everybody was happy with it. And it was well-written comedy along with the science fiction. And, you know, and Tom's got a, a great knack for that. His background being with Archie and stuff. And, and I'm a fairly fun guy but you know it, the the difference between the difference between us and and jason aaron with all due respect to mr aaron is we believe these characters should be fun we believe these characters should be people you want to hang around with if you're going to follow their monthly adventures if you're going to invest money in following their monthly adventures this has to be somebody you, you don't mind spending 20 minutes with you know and Thor, I think Thor is a wonderfully charismatic, terrific guy to hang around. The, you know, the, the first uh, movie with Chris Hemsworth and, and all the performances by Hemsworth, uh, he brought that aspect to the character that he was that he was not standoffish, that he was not uh, an above it all prickish. I'm a god, dude. You know that kind of thing. And so many other writers have brought that aspect to Thor. That I have never, I never saw that in Lee and Kirby's version. I never even saw that in Walt's version, you know? Right. He's not that guy. He respects human beings. He loves human beings. I mean, the fact that we get up every day knowing we only have like 70 or 80 years, that blows his mind. And we still create art and write poetry and build civilizations. And it's like, for a guy that grew up in, you know, the fantasy world of Asgard with everybody looking for a reason, you know, I mean, Odin built that society, in my opinion, and the way we approached it was he he gave that he gave those immortals something to do by basically making them the police force of the universe, you know, by by creating an entire uh, civilization around justice for the little guy. And the strong protecting the weak, you know, it's Odin was basically Stan Lee. <laughs> he was creating this this culture around uh, the, the the strong defends the weak. And that that's always been very obvious to me in how they wrote that. And uh, I just loved it. And, you know, but that's why Thor comes to Earth and, and beyond his origins as Don Blake and that bond that he has and everything, and whether or not Gaia is his mommy or whatever you want to say. Beyond all of that, he has lived among us and he has seen the, the, the everyday little courage and honor and uh, he's seen us try. He sees us try and he's decided that we're worth pitching into, we're worth investing in. And that's what he's chosen to do with his time. That's my Thor anyway. Mm -hmm. And guys, that is an example of why Ron Friends is one of the greatest storytellers 
Oh, shut up. No, I'm serious. I've always felt that. I, your philosophical way you look at these characters, I think, is what makes you great. And I and I, I am so proud to work with this guy. Uh, you're a pain in the ass. No, I mean, we've Tom and I have had discussions like this from day one, uh, you know, from who Peter Parker is to who Thor is to who Eric is. And it's always been the same. Why create characters that have feet of clay or are mean people or pricks or selfish or, you know, and why, why would you expect that people would want to hang around with these folks? You know, I mean, so the people we choose to, to do stories about are the people who are altruistic and the people who do, you know, look for common purpose and the people that do look like, you know, that, that do feel like doing the right thing is the right thing to do. And, otherwise why tell their story otherwise they're the supervillains. you know right. I, I actually spoke up one time at a meeting and, and <laughs> this is no slight against mr shooter because jim shooter did a lot for the industry and he did a lot for me and so this is not a slam against jim shooter but we were having a i was lucky enough to be at marvel one time while we were having they were having some kind of an editorial discussion where you know about the books in general and stuff and i remember jim it might have been at the spider-man conference or something tom i'm not sure but that jim gave his little talk about there always has to be a reason for the character to put on the suit you always need a reason in every story for the character to get involved you know he wasn't really sold on this idea that people would buy a character who just did the right thing because it was the right thing to do and his argument was, you know, that, that it's just not human nature. It's not general human nature. It's not the majority of human nature. And, you know, and I said, well, we do have character. I said, Mr. Shooter, we have a lot of characters that get superpowers and don't act in the common good. They're called the villains. And, you know, and he acknowledged that. But then he also said, yeah, but his point is about the heroes that just because Jim is, what, seven feet tall or whatever he is, Tom? Something he, like that. Yeah, he said, I don't walk around changing light bulbs in Central Park just because I'm tall enough to do it. And I said, sir, I understand that, but that's why we're not doing a comic book about you. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I mean, because he was talking about, you know, if, if you're Peter Parker and you have a choice between going out and swinging and doing the right thing, uh, and, and feet, you know, getting punched by bad guys or staying home with Mary Jane, you're going to stay home with Mary Jane, except his origin informs you why he does that. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. For him not to do that, uncle Ben's going to get killed again, you know? And so he, he feels compelled to, to do that. And, you know, and, and Jim got into a, a mindset where he almost needed somebody, you know, he needed a character to have an individual reason every single time, you know, at some point daredevil suits up because those are his working clothes. You know, once you've established his origin and once you've established his modus operandi, then that's what it is. I, I don't think every issue, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think every issue you should need to reestablish why a grown man puts on his fighting suit, you know, that kind of thing. But Jim was kind of going through a phase like that where he was he was thinking that direction. It was around the time I think he was getting ready to create uh, the new universe. Uh, so that might have had something that that might have been towards something that was informing the new universe. I don't know. But, you know, and I, but I, I do. I do believe that, you know, these characters are supposed to be the best of us. Otherwise, they're not worth telling stories about. Right. Oh, and Thor all the more. You know, Thor's right up there with Steve Rogers and Peter Parker to me. You know, I mean, these are the guys that 
they are mirrors for us that, uh, you know, they're, they're the best of us. They're, they're examples of what we want to be, what we should strive for. If Thor were real, I, I mean, if you look back at the old Lee Kirby stories and Thor would be standing on a sidewalk reading a newspaper in full regalia and, you know, <laughs> people would be looking at him and going, hey, man, how you doing? You know, that kind of thing. And it was this one scene they did with this little girl whose daddy was in Vietnam and she just comes up to him and talks to him like a person. And he kneels down and basically thanks her for her daddy's service and gives her a hug. And everybody's talking like, look at it, those arms. He could he could crush concrete and he's handling her as gentle as eggshells, you know, that kind of thing. And those were always the scenes that informed me about the characters that Stan was doing, that Stan and Jack were doing. Not not the fact that they could knock a building down, not the fact that they should be able to beat anybody in a fight, but that's the character right there. And, you know, if, if you're not recognizing that, if you're not noticing those scenes in the midst of all the superhero action, then you're, you're cheating the characters. I'm done. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Okay, well, let's let's talk about the Black Galaxy saga. Yeah, because yeah. I went over to my studio and got the trade paperback and read through it. And <laughs> and if I had to wade through all that Dom DeFalco purple prose, then we're going to talk about it. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Okay, well, let's talk about this because this is sort of the genesis of where Eric turns into Thor. When you had a plan to br- to bring Eric into it, was the Black Galaxy saga sort of the in your mind already at that point, or did you have to go, oh man, how are we going to 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 make this evolution an actual thing? We had always planned that Eric and Thor would be together, uh, unite somehow. But we didn't work out the details when we started. We just knew that, you know, somewhere along the line, it would happen. Well, they were already merged by the time we got the Black Galaxy saga, Thomas. Yeah. Oh, right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, they they were merged at the end of uh, of the epic with the first time we did uh, uh, High Evolutionary. So that's probably what's confusing you. That's right. I'm, I'm mixing up my High Evolutionary epics there. That's right. Yeah, because with the first time they went to the Black Galaxy and, and uh, were able to get Hercules out, that wasn't technically the Black Galaxy saga. If that's a story you want to talk about, fine. That's oh, no, not no, no. what I just read today. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Let's let's keep on going through the Black Galaxy. Tom, what were you what were you saying? You know, a lot of times Ryan and I knew in general where we were headed, but we we didn't know the specifics. Like I said, uh, you know, earlier, we always knew that Eric and Thor would eventually be merged. When we were starting out, we just didn't know how or, or why or you know how it was all gonna come together okay right. but again they were already i mean it well yeah when we first went to the black galaxy the reason eric was there was because even though we were going to do something super cosmic we needed to keep eric in play because we knew ultimately we wanted to merge them so this was an opportunity to show thor that eric wanted to go along because thor knew that the new men didn't have his back right so this was you know this was an opportunity for eric as a character to step forward and say holy crap these guys do not have thor's best interest at heart i'm going along and you know eric, uh, thor even says at one point that you know it's for such as thee that thor has their battle you know the people that have the heart but don't have the the tools and then high evolutionary just wanting to get on with it says i can supply him with this environment suit we'll be fine 
So yeah, the original purpose of Eric going along in that initial run to the Black Galaxy was because we needed to keep that human element there so we could continue to bond the two characters in new and exciting ways so that you could see that Eric had the heart, you know, that he he had the the potential to be a hero and and to watch Thor's back. So that was the whole impetus of of structuring the story the way we did. By the time we got to the Black Galaxy saga and we were going to finish up, you know, uh, the whole arc of what the Black Galaxy was and what it had done to Hercules and everything. I mean, that was just, you know, for a guy who started working on Thor because he wasn't sure he knew how to do Cosmic, that's one of the coolest uh, science fictioniest stories I think Tom might have ever, ever written. I don't know. I'm fairly familiar with most of your with most of your catalog, Thomas, but. There is, you know, th- this was some amazing stuff. I mean, the Black Galaxy saga, and then, of course, at the end, we tagged on the Endless Circle epic, which was just, some, it was some amazing stuff because it was about life cycle. The Asgardians were talking about Ragnarok in the course of it. And, the, you know, so we're, we're talking about the Ring des Nibelungen. We were talking about the Nibelungen cycle and the, and the Ragnarok cycle of life. And uh, there's some, again, some incredibly tight plotting and some beautiful structure, of course, because he was also moving between the main feature that, that again, was by by weeklies. So it was coming out twice a month. And we had Gary Hartle uh, illustrating the Tales of Asgard backup stories that Tom was amazingly skillfully professionally weaving in and out of the main feature and the backup features to tell this incredible epic uh from the two fronts of asgard and the black galaxy and then they all come together in the last issue which was 425 and uh and came to an explosive conclusion and it was yeah it was an amazing run i i enjoyed the heck out of it the fact that we and after showing us what the inside of a celestial's head looks like, <laughs> yeah. actually saw the birth of us. I thought it was very ballsy to use something like the Black Galaxy, which had been the uh, Bioverse, which had been around since the Lee Kirby days, and to tie it in to Kirby's concept of the Celestials, I thought was science fiction genius. I really did. I had nothing to do with it. One of the other characters that comes up in the Black Galaxy from your science fiction genius point of view is the character Stellaris, who plays a big role for your the length of your runs both through Thor and, and through Thunderstrike and then vanishes for over a decade in the Marvel Universe. Had, was that a character that you had other things you thought you were done eventually with? Or, or had you sent her off into the galaxy hoping that no one else would pick her up and, and play around with that character? Well, we sent her off into the galaxy. My intention at the time, had Thunderstrike continued, was to bring her back uh, because I was interested in exploring her origin. And I had a, I had a few ideas percolating about what her origins were. But we, we never got around to it. I mean, there were a couple of characters we never got around. We never got around to Mongoose. I, you know, I mean, when we retooled Mongoose for Thor, because he was originally designed as a Spider-Man villain, we had him working for High Evolutionary. So I think a lot of people assumed he was just a, a Mongoose that had been turned into a new man, you know, that was a turned human. But, you know, he was also wearing that, that uh, on his necklace, he was wearing what looked like a foreign dog tag. Yep. And uh, I gave him that deliberately because I didn't think he was a new man. I wanted to tell that story and we never got around to that one either. You know, so there are, are some characters that we 
we developed. I know you're what you're referring to with Stellaris. She showed up in what, like Annihilation or something like that. And yeah, yeah, briefly. Uh, I, I never read those stories, unfortunately. I've never been able to find them to read them. And I don't know how much they actually, you know, used Stellaris as as she was pre-established. But uh, I thought she was a, a fascinating character. I, the fact that you know there was a last little girl aspect to her that really appealed to me and it was it came to light in her connection to i mean she came back seeking out thor seeking out eric and uh you know was was looking for human connection so my thinking is that she on some level was human but we never really got a chance to explore it right one of the great moments in the black galaxy saga is the birth of the celestial I, i just wanted to know how does it work tom you're writing and you're giving your instructions and your plots to ron do you just say and then a then a celestial is born go ahead and draw that <laughs> I, I you know uh, here's one of the frustrating things dealing with mr friends <laughs> no no this is something that i've always resented and i'm gonna i'm gonna lay it back. <laughs> all right a lot of times i get this these these images in my head and i I carefully choreograph things and, and come up with this, what I think is this brilliant image. And I type it into the plot. And Ron looks looks at it and goes, hey, that's that's pretty cool. But how about if we did this instead? And God damn it, he, he always comes up with a better image. <laughs> Usually off the top of his head. And I just want to strangle him for that. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, you can believe that or not. I choose not to. I'm sure if I found, if I dug into some boxes and found the plots for these issues, that that the the plot actually described this white circle engulfing the entire black galaxy and then and then pulling in again with the stars gone and everything. I'm I'm sure that was uh, part of Tom's original intention because. Uh, you know, I mean, we, we work well together, but come on, Tom is a very, t- a fairly tight plotter. He, I, I know for a fact, just by instinct, that there was no way he just said, and then for the next three pages of Celestial, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, didn't, it didn't happen that way. Right. So, uh, but, but yeah, it was, it was a powerful sequence. I enjoyed seeing it again when I was reading it this afternoon. So. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I got, and I got to create a Celestial. So that was kind of cool. That you was know, cool. If yeah. you're going to be a student of Kirby and then a writer comes along and says, oh, you get to create a your own a celestial. And I'm going, well, that doesn't intimidate me too damn much. <laughs> Put it on your resume. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And of course, he never had a name or anything. He's just the blue guy. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I think I think a couple of people did refer to him as the blue celestial in later stories or something like that. We also got to to uh, I got to design Exitar the Exterminator. <laughs> Who has who has shown up in other stories? Right, he, yeah. he's yeah. the celestial hitman, and uh, that was a lot of fun. I I got a big kick out of that. Uh, I mean, because that's the other thing too. We we're not going to be as bold as to say that that's what in the inside of every celestial looks like. That's just what the inside of Exitar was, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Because there, well, there was that kind of story thing about you know jack's mr kirby's original 50 year time frame for the judgment of earth and everything that we kind of had to deal with and you know we kind of came up with this or tom did or ralph did this wonderful science fictiony sounding thing that the celestials exist across time they're you know 
because we had Arishem on the other planet, judging the other planet at the same time he still should have been on Earth. So they can exist across time and place uh, concurrently because they're so far beyond our mortal ken that, uh, you know, that sounds really cool and very poetic, and it gets us out of trouble. Yeah, and it's a, it's a magic hammer. Oh, Tom, I was just <laughs> going to say that. Oh, my God. We need to be working together again. I was, I was just going to say that. That was Tom, Tom's wonderful answer to any time I felt like I was up against it for a visual was, you know, uh, you know and then we'll have, uh, how does Thor get out of, you know, if he's bonded with the dock by Kim Pride, how does he get out of the dock? And he goes, Ron, it's a magic hammer. <laughs> he's just, he spins the hammer as the energy comes down and uh, he's free from the dock. And it's, have, we ever, have we ever seen him do that before? And he goes, Ron, it's a magic hammer. <laughs> And he was right every time. Yep. <laughs> you read the early Thor stories. Lee and Kirby had him doing so many crazy things with that hammer that he never did again. Oh, yeah. We tried to bring a few of them back. You know, that whole bonding his Asgardian life force with the hammer to take the big shot. I mean, we did that like, what, three times, I think. Because if Thor can do that, why the hell isn't he doing it all the time? Because <laughs> I mean, he doesn't have to. <laughs> no, he doesn't have to because he's Thor. But, you know, uh, he could certainly wrap up some fights a little faster that way. But, yeah, there, I mean, he used to do crazy stuff with the hammer. I, uh, that's that fit with Tom, one of Tom's favorite Thor lines from Avengers 4, where he uses the hammer, the magnetic power, the tapping into the magnetic field of the Earth, and he brings the alien ship up to the surface. And like Captain America says, oh, my God, you got the ship up to the surface. And Thor just looks at him and says, was that not my intent? <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you that in the celestial story, our first celestial story, my favorite part of that story was when Thor faces, I guess it's Arisham, and then gives him a chance to surrender. <laughs> yeah. That's my man. That's Thor. Yeah. That's Thor. Because it, it's not ego if it's true. It's, yeah. it's, just, it's just confidence. You know. you know, he knew he was in for a fight, but, you know, honor demands that you give the guy a chance to uh, surrender. Yeah. So, Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, we did the original Celestial three-parter. Then we did the Celestial story where they go with Eric still before the merger. And then the Black Galaxy saga, which was after the merger. Because remember, during the course of it, the Celestial separates them. And Eric and Hercules are used as ingredients in creating the new Celestial. Yeah. So that was, you know, that was kind of interesting. And then in 425... We remerged them, which was some of my favorite character stuff between the two, between Thor and Eric. It was, it was very interesting to me. I was, I, I enjoyed their relationship, and uh, you know, there there was always for me a kind of sliver of Tom and Mai's working relationship in the <laughs> seriously in the in the symbiosis of of Eric and Thor. There was uh, it was something that uh, I always felt very attached to up through until the uh tom got very personal in eric's goodbye in issue 24 oh yeah i was gonna bring that up too i've never i've never called him out about this but you know what eric the last thing eric says before his big line uh where he just quotes the mace is something that tom says to me and to people all the time so it was uh you know that was a very personal thing i mean a lot of our work ends up being very personal you can't help it I mean, you're in a room by yourself creating this stuff you know 24 7 
it becomes very personal. And uh, we try to keep it fun because we want it to be fun for ourselves. And, and I've always believed that if it's fun for us, it'll be fun for the reader. So, you know. Yeah. Well, you yeah. Know, I mean, most of what you guys write is, is incredibly fun and engaging. So, Well, I've always said that there's only one secret to writing. And that secret is you have to really care about what you're writing. Because if you don't care, your readers won't care. And the more you care, the more they'll, they will care. So you got to put passion into your work. Yeah, it, it, we, I mean, Eric was a uh, an amalgam of the two of us to begin with. He loved cars. He's good looking uh, like me. Yeah, he's good looking like you. He liked cars <laughs> like you. He was, uh, he was a single father, which is something we decided to do to kind of parallel the Odin-Thor relationship. And my brother at the time was a single dad and uh, had gone through a divorce and everything. So, you know, these were all things that we had some passing emotional attachment to. And Kevin, I haven't mentioned this in this interview, Kevin was named for <laughs> Ralph Hinckley's son on Greatest American Hero. Uh, <laughs> because on Greatest American Hero, Kevin disappeared. You know, towards the end of the series, even when Ralph and Pam get married, Kevin's not there. Huh. And when we were deciding on the elements of Eric Masterson and we decided we were going to give him a son, Tom was wholeheartedly for it. It's not like I had to coerce him or anything, but our handshake agreement was if we introduce Kevin, he cannot disappear. <laughs> he has to be there till the bitter end. Whatever that be, Kevin has to be there. Yeah, yeah, because he has to be the most important thing to Eric, you know. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and that's one of the reasons why we always knew Bobby Steele wasn't going to be Blood Axe, because uh, it was fascinating to me because when we got to the final issue of Thunderstrike, and there's a, there's we did the three scenes at, at Eric's gravesite. And again, they're very personal to me. But when Kevin calls Bobby dad for possibly the first time, hmm. I, I had friends of mine who read Thunderstrike and everything who, who didn't like it. They, they didn't like that for some reason. And right. I said, you know, we got to give everybody a happy ending. We got to tie this up. And I want to know that Kevin's going to be OK. Wow. Yeah. And that was the best way to do that, you know. Yeah. Well, one of the best moments that I liked, this is during the Black Galaxy saga as well, is when Eric has to say goodbye to Kevin. Like he turns Kevin over to his mom. Yeah, because it was the best thing for him. Yeah, he walks out the yeah. door and Eric turns and Hercules is right there. I got choked up just seeing it again today. Holy yeah. cow, so good, yeah. so good. Yeah, well, actually, even more than that, I like the scene where I just did the repeat scenes where he shows up at the attorney's office and makes the proclamation that, you know, it's the best thing for Kevin. Right. Yeah. And as he's walking out, he says, it's over, Marcy. You won. It's, it's so incredibly yeah. heavy. Yeah. It's one of those light scenes Curtis was talking about. Yeah. Well... <laughs> and you can always know you can count on Hercules for a hug. So. Yeah. I love their relationship, the little, the, the buddy comedy relationship that they had. So so great. Yeah, the way you guys wrote that that Hercules Thor dynamic was fantastic. Well, that was I, I mean, not to take anything away from Tom or me, but you know, that was that was Lee Kirby. They established that. Right. You know? And I would, you know, I would love to see that in the movies. I really would. I I would love to see them introduce the rock is Hercules yep, and, yep. <laughs> and have he and Hemsworth interact. You know, of course they've gone a little they've gone a little further with, with Thor than they than we ever did in the books. Because Thor was always pretty much the straight man. But, uh, I mean, that, that was one of the things I liked about in the relationship with Thor and, and Eric is that, you know, Thor could stick it to you every once in a while, too. You know, he, he got sarcasm. <laughs> so it was, you know, we always had fun with that kind of stuff. So, uh, 
the interpersonal relationships, that's what it's all about. If those don't ring true, uh, you know, as, as Tom said, if you're not invested, if the, the creatives aren't invested in the characters, then you can't expect the, the reader to be invested in the characters. So, I mean, when I relive some of these moments, be it Spider-Girl or A-Next or what we're just talking about here, I still get choked up. It's like it happened to me to, to some degree, you know, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but we inv we invested ourselves in those scenes. And, uh, you know, I, so you, it's, it's a fascinating alchemy to take two dimensional figures on paper and evoke an emotional response from your audience. I mean, that I've always had incredible respect because it happened for me when I was a kid that a writer and an artist who aren't even in the same room can bring their talents together with a colorist and an anchor and an editor and, and create this magic on the page that draws you in and, and you actually emotionally respond to these characters as if they're three-dimensional for you. And, and that's just incredible. And I'm proud to be a part of that, you know, entire legacy of, of, of storytelling. And we've had our share of success with it. And, you know, we've had our share of everybody's got a cop to a few bummers. But, you know, oh, yeah, <laughs> more than a few. <laughs> Although I bet you couldn't name one, Tom, because we don't remember the defeats as much. <laughs> <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> OK, OK. Well, as long as, you know, if it's something I penciled, feel free to bring it up. But, no, uh, no, no, no. I, I, I was, you know, and you know this is true, Rod, though these guys won't believe it. I have for years tried to convince Ron that he should never look at the published work. That's uh, true. That it will only depress you. You know, never look at the published work. Now, I will confess to my surprise when I pulled out the, the Black Galaxy paperback here to, to just remind myself what it was about. You know, I, I was I was quite pleased to look, you know, certain lines of dialogue, which I, I'm, I'm sure you must have written, Ron, because I, I don't remember. Them. Yeah, that's not, not true. But, but, I, but I, was, I, I was I was impressed as well, Tom. It was it was fun re uh, experiencing again. It, it yeah, because really I, I, I look at it and guys, this is going to sound goofy, but guys like me and Ron, we're still struggling to try to get this right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Every uh, month, every job. Know. You know, you're trying to make it better than the one before. You, you uh, swing it out, trying to see if you can do it. You know, these days, you know, Marvel doesn't call me much, but every once in a while they call me and ask me to do a story of that sort of stuff. And I think, can I do that anymore? Do I remember how to do that? And, you know, you get that sense of panic in your stomach because, we, you know, like I said, we're still struggling to get it right. And I don't remember if this was Sal who said this to me or John Gisema, but one of them said to me, you're either getting better or you're getting worse, but you're not staying static. Hmm. And guys like me and Ron are always, always afraid we're getting worse. Well, that's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's always the challenge is if you think you can't get any better, then it's time to get out. You know, that, that is not self-aware in, in my mind. Thank God there are deadlines because, you know, <laughs> otherwise we'd still be noodling our first Spider-Man job together. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, and and Danny, God love him, Danny Fingeroth, our editor, always did right up to the point that it had to go out on the truck, for God's sakes. You know, I mean, and sometimes you just have to settle for good enough and do better next issue and do better the issue after that and do better the issue after that. I mean, yeah, there's there's no end to this. I mean, if you're really invested in the work and trying to, you know, and, and comparing yourself to the best, then you're always climbing that hill i mean that's uh, that's all there is to it that's all there is to it if you get to the point where it's 
an easy downhill slide, then you've decided that and you're only going to get worse. Like the unnamed Basema said. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember one time I said to Stanley, you know, I said to Stan, does it ever get any easier? And he said, Tony, if it ever does, give me a call. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So what what are you guys working on these days, Uh, either together or separately? Well, unfortunately, it'd be separately at this point. I mean, we just did the Spider-Man Ted Pager and the Thunderstrike Ted Pager. Did you guys see those? I saw the Spider-Man one, yes. I haven't seen the, the Thunderstrike one yet. Thor the Worthy. That Thor one worthy. Job that it's, worth, it's worth a read. Cool. I will definitely well, check you. it out. Yeah, I mean, we had some fun with it. We were as shocked as anybody else. So it's a little flashback tale of Eric that has a point and a beginning, a middle, and an end. And we were quite happy with well, it. All the best part of the story. What's that? All the best parts of a story, beginning, middle, and end. Yeah, exactly. That's, Tom insists on that crap. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, what are, what are you working on now, Thomas? Anything? Uh, uh, nothing in the realm of comics. Oh, oh, no, actually, that, that, that may change tomorrow morning. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I, I forgot somebody had asked me to do something, and I, you know, I got to sit down and, and, and see if I have any actual ideas. But uh, I exist on other realms of uh, reality, and, and, and that's where I'm concentrating my efforts these days. Um, yeah. But this is, you know, this is about comics, so we only talk about comics. Well, don't, don't get too famous without me, Tom. But <laughs> <laughs> I'll always be standing on the dock waiting for you. So, sorry, Ron, too late. <laughs> uh, uh, and I am working with Sitcomics out of California, a gentleman named Darren Henry. Hey, uh, doing, uh, Blue, Blue Baron again? Is that right? Blue Baron. He's even my icon right here, mm-hmm. uh, fluctuating a little blue circle. Yeah. Uh, that's Blue Baron there. And uh, yeah, I've been really happy working with uh, with Darren, and he's still working at, uh, at getting hard copies out and cutting a deal with Diamond Distributing to get him into shops more regularly. And then, of course, this tiny bug came along, this protein, <laughs> this protein came along and upended everything as over tin cup. But, uh, you know, that's what I'm working on right now is I'm working on an issue for him uh, of the heroes coming together as the heroes union, which is a terrific story by uh, Roger Stern and, and Darren Henry. Mm-hmm. So I get, I'm getting to work with Roger right now. And, uh, and then anytime Marvel calls, we try to make some time for it, whether it's a single page or a, a 10 page story, you know, we try to turn out the best product we can because that's what we is. Uh, as Tom DeFalco has said in the past, we're idea machines. That's what they pay us for. So. If Marvel phones again, or when Marvel phones again, not if when Marvel phones again, some of my favorite Ron friends and uh, Tom DeFalco characters who appear in the Black Galaxy are, are the um, the Celtic gods. They appeared before the Black Galaxy, but they they, re, they come back through again. Uh, and I would love to see you guys revisit those guys. So if Marvel wants to give you a, a ring next time or tomorrow, that'd be great. And pitch you on that. I'd love to see them again. <laughs> well, they, they don't usually phone us and say, so what do you want to do? They usually phone us and say, we need this by next Tuesday. You know? <laughs> but uh, we'll keep that in mind. Yeah, Lear was a lot of fun. That was a neat character. Lear was the only one I designed. Dagda and what was the running guy's name? Tom. Yeah, Kaber. Now, see, I was, <laughs> I was hoping to embarrass DeFalco with that one. Yeah, uh, I don't remember the names of these characters. <laughs> but yeah, there was there was some nice stuff done. I think they even didn't they even do well like, again in uh, in Marvel Comics Presents or something. The week, didn't they do a, a story? I think Tom Morgan did a story with them one time. Or was that just yeah. 
Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That was, you know, so they, they're, they're fun characters. Like all of the stuff that Tom works on. I mean, he, he gives them some legs so they can uh, go out and into the world and, and have some stories to tell. And uh, that, that's what makes it a lot of fun. Yeah. But uh, he was a neat character. I, I would love to do him again at some point. I'd like to do a lot of the characters again. Just recently for my Facebook post, I, I drew Kesar and Zabu for the first time in decades. Nice. Just because I had the itch. And uh, yeah, it, it's something I've thought about a lot. And, uh, you know, it would be interesting to do. And uh, that could be fun. And I wonder what that would look like. And I finally sat down just after I was done with the work for the day studio and and uh, and did a pencil sketch and i liked it enough to put it up on facebook and just remind everybody how old i am <laughs> i know chris the rabbit can i ask you guys one one more uh, question real quick anything, anything craig anything oh well actually, no, I, I, <laughs> tiny little yellow how much milk. money how much money you're gonna ask for uh, that won't work sorry <laughs> you, uh, you want to teach my courses for me i do i do high school french do you want to take over next week no um in, in seriousness, in several previous interviews, Tom, I know you've said your favorite story that you've written was whatever happened to Crusher Hogan. But I would love to know what your favorite Thor story you ever wrote is, because you always answer with a Spider-Man. And Ron, I would just love to know uh, both which your favorite story you worked on, either with Tom or with someone else is, and what your favorite Thor story was uh, as, as well. Tom, go ahead. Do you have a Thor story? Um, Not off the top of my head, I this is an interesting question, but but it's never been asked before, so I've never thought about the answer. You actually say whatever happened to Crusher Hogan? Yeah, that whenever anybody asks that, you know, that's the one I think about because it, as a Spider-Man story, that seemed to have all the right elements in it, and um, it was, you know, a good emotional story. Well, I, 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 don't, I don't disagree. I'm just flattered because you did a lot. Of, you did a lot of Spider-Man without me too, Tom. Let's not forget that. Let's not forget that gaping wound in my heart. <laughs> that wasn't my fault. <laughs> I got tricked. I would. I'd be hard pressed uh, to. I mean, I'm certainly very proud to this day to have been a part of the Kid Who Collects Spider-Man. You know, that, who wouldn't be? Yeah. You know, Terry Austin, Roger Stern. It's a tearjerker. It's uh, it, it says everything you need to know about Peter Parker in uh, whatever however, whatever the page count was. So yeah, that's something I'll always be proud of. I mean, in in the completely unlikely event they ever do a Ron Friends Visionaries or something, I would certainly want that to be in it. And as far as stuff with Tom, as far as Thor specifically, hmm, you know, four twenty-five would be in the uh, in in the running because just rereading it today, again, you know, it it really spotlights the relationship between Thor and Eric and everything, and uh, we were very very invested in Eric as a character, so that would be in there absolutely. And I'm, you know, I don't know. I mean, we I, they're all my children, so it is kind of like a, a Sophie's Choice type of video, you know? Yeah. So uh, that, that but be probably since we're centering on the Black Galaxy saga, I'll, I'll go with that as story-wise. I, I think we uh, accomplished everything we wanted to accomplish in 425. You know, as I'm thinking about it, the one where Thor has his final battle with uh, Loki, or he, he thinks he's going to have his final battle. Yeah, then, well, one of the anniversary issues, yeah. It was, the, it yeah. was, it was an anniversary of uh, Journey into Mystery, yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. I liked that. Yeah, and then, you know, he's had some some speech about, you know, their early childhood and stuff like that. Well, yeah, the, just the, the very, I mean, even the visual, and it was something you and I discussed, 
is that Thor, with everything that's happened, Thor doesn't hate Loki. Thor remembers him as the uh, constant companion of his youth. He remembers him as his brother. And and to this day, doesn't really understand why Loki hates him so much and why he broke bad. It's one of the things I love about the movies. I think they got that relationship right. They're catching Loki much earlier in his progression. I mean, by the time Tom and I got there, Loki was pretty much established as a sociopathic nut job. You know, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, But exploring the point of view of him as a character is always fascinating. Yeah, I I would sign on for that one too, Thomas. I thought that had a a lot of resonance. That was the one where Susan got blasted and... And uh, Thor made the decision to eradicate his brother. And it had Code Blue in it, too. So it had a really nice conversation between uh, Marcus Stone and, and Thor, where you know Thor promised that if, that if he survived the justice of Asgard, he'd come back to face Earth justice. You know? and, uh, and Marcus said, I, I, I believe you will. And they shook hands. And of course, by the time Thor got back to Earth, <laughs> Loki wasn't dead anymore because he planned ahead. <laughs> because he had planned ahead. Yes. Uh, that was the, we, we discussed it. We discussed the Thorcor arc, and that was how Loki got pulled from the past. And uh, Eric gave away the card game, so Loki was able to plan ahead and uh, prevent his own demise. So, uh, you know, boy, you, you'd love to say you had that all up on a corkboard, wouldn't you, Tom? <laughs> Uh, is that 432 we're talking, right? Uh, I don't know the numbers, man. I'm sorry. But yeah, in Thorcor, he he sees his uh he sees that Eric Eric says, you know, Thor wins. You, you I don't know why you're bothering. Thor wins. And he sees in Eric's eyes, he, he through his magic, he sees that Thor kills him. Yeah. So when he is when he's sent back to his proper place in the timeline, he's prepared uh for for what Thor does. In, uh, in in four thirty two or whatever it is, yeah, yeah. So yeah, right, right. well, we we had some cool ideas, Tom. <laughs> we, we, should not for we should think about doing this professionally at some point. You know, <laughs> yeah, we could rent a barn and get a blanket and get the kids together and make us some comic books. Right. Thank you, both of you. That was that was wonderfully informative. Uh, yeah, yeah right. it, really it was. was my it was it was my pleasure, and like I said, I'm very grateful that you guys are out there. These podcasts are out there, still plumbing the history of the books and everything. I'm not crazy about being part of the history of these books, but uh, <laughs> I will take it if it gets me uh, a conversation that'll fill an evening. Yeah, it was it was really. I'm, I'm glad you guys are out there doing this kind of thing and uh, keeping the the candle burning. So thank you very much. Yeah, we, we do appreciate it. Thanks. You guys take care. Okay, you take care Thank too. You. Thanks a lot, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Yep. I'll talk to you, talk to you Ron. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Bye, Dan. Bye.